0: podcast network redefining podcasts society-13.com i like to listen hello and welcome to episode 720 of the wicked library yeah that's right we have an extra episode you know you guys are awesome so what the hell i figured we do a bonus episode for you and uh, sneak in an extra story because we had a lot of them submitted this season and try to get to as many as we can and thanks to you guys for all your support on patreon for all the awesome iTunes reviews Uh, we wanted to do something a little special for you so here's an extra story an extra episode we hope you enjoy truly doing things like this is made possible by our patreon supporters so If you'd like to support the show and you're not already doing so, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Not a lot of talking today. Want to get right into the story for you. So without further ado, today's episode of the Wicked Library is Bone Peyote by Ricardo Victoria. Narrated by yours truly, artwork by yours truly, interview with the author by yours truly. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's get wicked.
1: Well, here we are again. The
0: warning at the beginning of the show.
1: I'm getting a little tired of having to warn you people. I mean, the name of the show is The Wicked Library, for God's sakes.
0: It's not the Sweet Pickles Library. Listener discretion is advised. If you're scared easily,
1: good. (laughs) Seriously,
0: though, bugger off if you can't take scary stuff. Very scary, yeah. <laughs> Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yet. Hold on to yourselves, whirls and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time. At the Wicked Library. <laughs> peyote by Ricardo Victoria Lot 42 Item number 9 Leather bound journal Slightly worn Neat crisp handwriting It appears two pages have been removed from the opening of the journal Audio transcription begins If I knew then what I know now, I would look at the traditions of my native land with a different perspective, one more of awe than morbid curiosity. Everything happened six months ago, during the autumn, when I came back from my studies abroad for some rest. I took the opportunity then to bask in what I considered one of the most unique celebrations of my native Mexico, the Day of the Dead held on the 1st and 2nd of November, just after Halloween. It is a date full of vibrant colors, music, and flavors. Contrary to its name, it is a celebration of both the living and the dead. Mexicans, probably due to history or to some atavistic condition, tend to have a dark sense of humor that is best expressed when we laugh at death. The Katrina, a stiff upper-lipped and well-dressed female grim reaper, becomes the main character in a day where, tradition dictates, the dead come back from the grave in spirit to visit their relatives and eat the offerings left behind for them. Families be it in cemeteries, caves, or inside their homes, build uh, homemade altars where photographs, candies, fruit liqueurs, food, Grim Reaper representations in funny situations, magazines, and toys are left for two days so the beloved departed could enjoy the love of the living. The tradition backs from pre-Columbian days, although nowadays it's a syncretic event that mixes ancient traditions with the deep-seated Catholic beliefs of the general population. And in recent years, it fights the invasion of Halloween by adding some of its tenets into its schizophrenic mix. Uh, But I digress. Day of the Dead shares, at least in the most mystical sense, the same concepts as the saw one. The idea that the veil that separates the realms of the dead from the living, the spiritual from the material, and the otherworldly dimensions from the mundane is thin enough to be crossed. Usually, it is the dead that make the journey rather than the living. But that hasn't stopped some of the more reckless or adventurous living people from trying to make a similar journey in the other direction. And live to tell the tale. And then, a country deeply embedded in mystical traditions, stories of human sacrifices and warlocks that can shapeshift into animals to steal your spirit, and a country regarded as one of the most haunted due to its bloody and convoluted history, populated with some of the weirdest deities of ancient pantheons. There is no lack of method nor legends about how to do it. As I said before, I was returning home from abroad where I was studying something that, in light of the revelations learned, pales in comparison. I traded the crispy leaves and the rainy days mixed with bonfires of the Midlands in England for the smell of copal, which is similar to incense and fulfills a similar function in local traditions, and the full spectrum of colors for the alphanique, toys made of sugarcane of the massive, overpopulated Mexico City, a behemoth of a place whose innards full of tunnels for the subways cross upon the remains of the lake onto which the city was built in times of the Aztec. I was planning to meet with a friend, Julian, in his flat before going back to my hometown, 45 minutes by motorway from Mexico City, planning to hear his stories from his recent trip into the so-called mystical land of Real de Catorce, an old colonial town in the north-central region of the country, known for rather lousy Hollywood-esque movies and the promise of mystical, magical tours to meet with shamans, the local wise men, and to eat peyote. Peyote is a small, spineless cactus with psychoactive alkaloids, particularly mescaline, that according to their traditions, allowed one to take a trip into the other realms. This was popularized by a series of books, one entitled Of Other Realities and Dreams, by an author whose name I can't recall right now. In that book, he narrated how a very strange and quirky shaman taught him how to communicate with the spirits of the land through the use of the peyote. Over the past decades, and since the publications of said book, peyote had been all the rage, be it by fashion or be it due to more spiritual endeavors to achieve that kind of experience. Now, the reader might think that I dismiss such activities as foolish, thanks to the tone of this text. But on the contrary, those that know me know that I have a keen interest some would say, uh, morbid even, with stories of the strange and the occult, with Day of the Dead and other realities. At first dismissed as childish interest, it informed several of my personal tastes, mainly due to the old stories of an ancestor who fought in the Mexican War for independence with the rebels and witnessed weird events while hiding for a season or two in the caves the Veracruz mountain range, a place known for its warlocks and witches that both cast both fortune and curses, if the payment was good enough. And sometimes such payment wasn't necessarily made with money, as humans have other valuable things to pay with. Now, my ancestor registered the events in a diary that is hidden amongst many books in my grandfather's personal library. And I have to admit that I read it several times, hidden during the night until I memorized it. It was this obsession with those stories that led me to the path of meeting and befriending Julian. A kid from a family of considerably financial resources, but poor emotional contact, Julian solved the issue of his birth handicap, a lame leg, with his quest for paths to enlightenment. Or so he said. A- at times, I thought it was more an excuse to get high, bet a girl, or engage in new ways of debauchery. From a shared interest in weird stories and urban legends of the country, as well as on the story of my ancestor, Julian kept swearing that it was his ancestor as well, and. As such, we were distant relatives. A claim that I used to doubt until now is that our friendship was born and kept alive even despite the distance. Recently, Julian decided to celebrate his birthday, which coincided with the start of the autumn season, with a trip to Real de Catorce. He said that he was looking for the shaman mentioned in that book, whose author's name still eludes me. In his emails, probably sent from a local cyber coffee shop, he sounded excited, as his search apparently bore fruit. Not in the way he expected, but apparently in one that promised more interesting venues for his quest. It seemed that while he didn't find the original shaman from the book, he found an old man who claimed to be his student but who later diverged into more obscure and powerful rites that made what was described in the book look like child's play. Of course, those rites attracted the scorn of the locals as apparently some of the cats and goats of a couple of ranchers disappeared and more concerning rumors talked about a Canadian couple that no one saw again after they went for a walkabout with the old man on a cold day of December. And... As a consequence of the unsavory rumors, the old man lived in a meager, dilapidated hut outside the town, alone. The authorities tried to confirm the rumors, especially because of the couple's disappearance, but between the well-paid corruption and the lack of proper evidence, such investigation never came to fruition. None of this, however, deterred Julian. On the contrary, it seemed to spur him on even more. My belief back then was that he was trying to prove something to the world, as the lameness in his leg became worse and his parents left him to his own devices. The empty vastness surrounding that mine town proved an excellent place for Julian to test such rights. And with each test, his emails became more and more excited. At first, once he moved from the delight of finding a proper teacher to the initial lessons on those rights, he started to write on his most meaningful experiences and their results. Most people believe, my dear friend, he wrote, that this world is but a single reality of linear time where we are the center of the universe, how wrong they are. Our reality is just one of many. Deep-seated layers overlapping, interconnected in strings of Mobius-like architecture. Your admired teacher has only hinted at this with his crude equations in that book on manifolds and n-dimensions. But his understanding is still crude and primitive. The truth can only be revealed if one is willing to expand their minds with those peyote plants. My mentor is teaching me ways that the other book barely mentioned. When I asked him about the rumors surrounding his mentor, Julian dismissed them with claims about how ignorant the other people were. The next emails contained similar replies of more metaphysical character, explaining to me that time and space were not only the same, but were easily transversed in any direction, past and future, just as it was to cross the veil that served as seal between the mundane world and the other world that he started to call Miklan, as in the land of the dead of the Aztec religion. My mentor has provided me with a new ritual and a very scarce type of peyote called bone peyote, which locals said originally grew from the bones of a dead deity. And how much I have learned from it. Another email read, "...those stories that we dismissed as mere mythology in school hold more truths than modern science is willing to admit." Oh, how wonderful it would be if the scholars admired those stone calendars in the museums with new eyes. The world is not built on cyclic periods, but it's more like a spiral whose end is the start. Those calendars have to be seen under the influence of this variety as would allow you to unlock the fourth and fifth and sixth dimension carved in those stones. No wonder the Mayans in Yucatan invented the zero if they were familiar with the true nature of reality. After that email... Hullian said that he wanted to try a new right, one that would allow him to travel properly, more than just observe, through space and time. But his mentor had disappeared a day before with his whereabouts unknown. Hullian suspected that he went into a walkabout in the desert and a freak sandstorm must have caught him. Hullian waited for a couple of days, but there were no signs of his return. The locals took their own action and asked the authorities to declare him dead, burning the hut at once. With nowhere to stay, Julian decided to carry out the rite on the date that sounded most promising, the Day of the Dead, just when, according to tradition, the veil that separates the land of the dead and the living is thin enough to allow the crossing. Thus, I waited for Julian on a cold morning on the 1st of November, the less regarded Day of the Dead dedicated to the children and the lesser saints outside the infamous market of Sonora. Hidden beneath its traditional market visage in that place was located one of the main hubs in Mexico City for those that practice the occult arts or wish to acquire the supplies needed for mysterious rituals. Julian arrived with his usual gait and a new cane with a metal handle which I assumed was made of silver. Julian was particularly happy, yapping and mumbling about this new right and how he needed me there to record his visions in his diary, as his voice recorder stopped working properly after his last experience. He took me along the narrow aisles of the markets until we reached the shops that sold the paraphernalia to keep away to fend off Bad Mojo. Also, to create love potions and curse your enemies and create rituals of prosperity or decay. Julian kept asking at several of the vendors for some very specific items. And the bone peyote he needed, though, only one agreed to sell the items. As most of them said that he was mad. And the one that agreed to sell only did it after crossing himself at least seven times and after receiving a hefty sum of money. Fools, Julian said. Their saints and silly superstitions kept them away from the truth. Their parlor tricks are nothing compared to what I've seen. The priests from the Aztec, the Toltec, and the Mayan, all of them knew the truth. And that scared the Spaniards and shook their beliefs. That last part, it concerned me. While Julian wasn't exactly a practicing Catholic, he never dismissed it in such a way. It was as if his recent experiences had emboldened him to the point of cockiness and reckless hubris. I tried to ignore the warnings in my head, but they nagged at me all day. If only I had listened. We spent the rest of the day eating... ...buying candy skulls and trading stories of our respective lives till that day. In comparison, my studies seemed childish against the secrets that Olyon uncovered. The expansive alternate dimensions that are placed beyond the veil that split the living from the dead... ...and the spirits were vast and rich, making ours just but a humble reflection tied by our preconceptions of time and space. In those places, time was meaningless, allowing you to see past, present, and future at once and travel freely amongst them. Julian insisted that the old traditions hidden behind the coat of commercial celebrations, such as the Day of the Dead, were true, and that the spirits did come to visit us in this night when crossing was possible. It was only at this time of year that it was possible for humans to travel the other way with the right tools, as many legends and folklore around the world proved. He claimed that the rite he was going to use tonight would allow him to travel, at least in a spiritual sense, rather than just having visions. He said for those realms, the flesh anathema, the safest way to travel was in spiritual form, or risk entering and being torn asunder by the flows of contradicting time. That reminded me of those folk tales where someone is dragged by a spirit to their otherworldly realms, and when they tried to return, our linear time caught up with them, turning them into dust in a matter of days or hours. Thus, I found it reasonable That Julian accounted for that, even if by now I was starting to dismiss his speech as the product of heavy psychotropic drug overuse. I was surprised going by his description of the rites he had practiced at the amounts of the special peyote that he had consumed in short time. And I started to fear it might have affected his brain. I tried to turn the conversation during our visit to Mexico City and how the syncretic clash of modernity and ancient customs took place in each corner of the historic downtown about the renovation of the Templo Mayor, the ancient Aztec temple situated right in the middle of the city, or even the plans for the new airport and how the digging of the foundations had encountered some technical difficulties. I tried to talk him into more friendly topics, but it was to no avail. It was only when I asked him about the circumstances of the disappearance of his new mentor that I saw a silent coolness overcome him. He claimed that what happened had a simpler explanation instead of suspicions he shared in his emails. He even dismissed with disdain what the locals reported to the newspaper as foolish tales of ignorant people. He wasn't taken by the spirits during a rite. Oh no, he said with a very unconvincing tone. He was an old man who took needless risks going on walkabouts at the wee hours of the day. He probably broke a leg. After all, he was a really old man. The sandstorm was just a coincidence that stopped him from getting rescued. He died there in the desert, Holyan proclaimed with certainty in his voice. But when I pressed, asking him why he didn't take it upon himself to search for his mentor, his voice trembled about how his lame leg didn't allow for that, and he still had great things to do. I smelled bullshit, as he was always one to take physical risks, despite his leg. It was then when he finally acceded to change topics and and asked me about my work. Later that night, Julian took us to his flat, a middle-class place on top of an old hardware store in Mexico City's downtown. The place was ample and comfortable for his needs, and it wasn't as if he had more belongings beside his vast collection of handicrafts from all over the country and books ranging from science fiction to the occult. An eclectic mix. If I had seen one, he asked me to wait in his living room, where most of his books were kept, while he prepared the room he was planning to use for the rites—the right that would prove, at least in his mind, that man was closer to unveiling the secrets of the universe than we thought, and that soon we would rule. Oh, the irony. It was close to midnight when he was ready and called me into the room. I had almost dozed off reading a book about ancient Egyptian traditions when he asked me to take pen and paper to register his adventure. The room was covered with drawings, sigils, and signs that I couldn't recognize, although they seemed to represent spiritual guides called tonas similar to the familiars in witchcraft traditions. And time and space coordinates, stars in the ilk. They were a mix between pre-Columbian styles, Celtic and even prehistoric. But there was something unnerving about them, something that seemed to recall more primordial things. Things that only registered in our collective consciousness as mementos of... Abject fear. Polian claimed that those sigils were passed from teacher to student for eons. From the time when the old gods of the Mexican mythology, such as Quetzalcoatl and Tezcatlipoca, created this land with sacrifices. The other thing I noticed was a strong smell of copal. So strong that it almost made me choke. I was then concerned with dying from being asphyxiated more than anything else, so... I asked to sit near the door where I could breathe properly. Julian allowed it, despite saying that it was just nonsense. Maybe my closeness to an exit was what helped me in the end. Julian laid in the bed, surrounded by trinkets and copal burners. As the only modern things in the room struck midnight, he began to recite a sequence of chants, composed by words I couldn't make out. 15 minutes passed before something changed. It was perhaps the excess of copal in the air, but I could swear that I started to hear a strong sound of drums banging in a compelling rhythm. I thought I was going to pass out when I saw the hands of the clock started to move randomly. And it was then when Julian started to speak in Spanish again to narrate his visions, which... I transcribe here. It is dark, but not black, the realm beyond the veil. So many sounds and odors. It smells damp and fragrant. I follow the fire of the sun's heart along the current of flowers. I can see the dead descending upon the houses of their relatives, eating away the soul offerings of the altar, whispering to their families words of love or hate. There are dead people that have left much business unfinished and yearn to return to their fleshy cages. I should move from here or else they will try to steal my body like they did with my mentor. I follow the flame and ah my friend I can do it now. The ebb and flow of time is mine. I can go into the past and visit things that historians ignore and feeble minds avoid. I can see our ancestors. Yes, ours. To this, I rolled my eyes. Running away from his persecutors. From the Queen's Dragoons. Into a cave. The cave is deep and... I walk alongside him through a series of tunnels deep into the heart of the land, hoping to fool his enemies. He can hear them, but not see them, until we hear screams, horrible screams. Something must have happened to the colonial forces. We move swiftly onto another path, and what he sees fills our ancestor with dread. I don't know how deep we are. The only thing I can see is a line of skeletons, dancing to the sounds of drums, cackling and laughing, even if they have no vocal cords. Deep and cavernous laughs going into the deeper innards of the land. And the Spaniards are with them, dancing maniacally, crying, their souls being torn asunder from some strange smoke their flesh turning into leather, wrapping tightly around their bones. Our ancestor decided to escape before it was too late for him. But I'm protected by these symbols and sigils, so I shall follow them. This is intriguing. At this point, I tried to walk up to him and wake him up, regardless of whether what he was saying was true or not. This was taking me down a path that Part of me didn't like. However, my limbs felt heavy and I couldn't move more than my hands to keep writing. This cave. This cave goes deeper than I thought. Not only in space, but in time. I'm going back to the colonial times, into the mines of Guanajuato, when the Spaniards dug for their silver. Uh, I see... This cave connects to a mine, the same abandoned mine that collapsed earlier this year. I see the mummies in that museum in the city of Guanajuato. I can hear their screams, their souls trapped in their bodies, slowly eroding, being sucked by a mysterious force. I feel like I'm being dragged by the flow now. The mummies warn me to resist, but I prefer to know what's deep down. I shall not fall prey to cowardice when I'm so close to finding out everything. I can feel it in my bones and skin. By that point, I was starting to freak out, but I was feeling disoriented. I could barely do anything else than keep writing, despite my desire to escape the apartment. I'm moving so fast. Seeing, smelling, and tasting the human sacrifices that the Aztec made to the old gods. The historians were wrong. The beating hearts weren't offerings just to keep the sun alight, but to appease something the high priest called the Creature of Bones. On the same date we celebrate All Saints Day, the Day of the Dead. You were right, my friend. Our traditions, and the others from Ireland and Japan, share commonalities. As I can see that folk Celt hero battling the succubus. As in the legends. I try to stop and witness the event, but the flow is dragging me faster. The sounds of the drums are almost deafening. Oh, heavens! I can see the old gods! Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent. Katlapoca, the black Jaguar, Kotliku, the mother of the 400. Kupotli, the war god. The hummingbird tearing apart his half-sister and using it as bait for a creature. The same creature of bones. The gods are battling it. And then crushing it, but not killing it. I can feel their fear how they are trapping the creature in the Mictlan, the land of the dead and the bone peyote is growing from it. I can see them creating the symbols, but they are worthless. Damn you, Melkor. Damn you and your teachings. The creature is too strong and has absorbed the Mictlan into it. It has become one with the whole dimension, and the gods are scared. Their folly has polluted the created land, as the creature of bones now envies the living... ...and yearns for the flesh. The gods seal it deep inside the land and collapse it. But it doesn't matter. I can see the line of skeletons walking happily into its belly... ...dragging along those foolish Spaniards... ...into a dance of life and death that takes centuries and seconds at the same time. And they are inviting me. I have to run away. By this point... Coulin was suffering spasms very similar to those with epilepsy, drenched in sweat and his limbs contorted in positions they weren't meant to go. I run as fast as I can, the only exit towards the future, in another realm. I fight to do it, but finally leave behind the drums. I finally can rest as I'm in the future, a few years from now. The city glows in the dark with all its new buildings. The street's full of movement, like veins full of blood. I can walk freely. It feels like a new place. I follow a cute girl. I can't see her face, but she is slender and dressed in expensive clothing. She moves around as if she owned the city. As if she was the city. Wait. Something is wrong. The Drums. I can hear the drums and see her face. Oh, God. She is... I must run. This was a mistake. She has Melkor. Oh, God. And with that, I had enough. Mustering as much strength as I could, I moved my numb limbs to his bed and slapped him hard in the face several times. I know that's not the proper way to deal with someone suffering seizures, but I had enough. And I could hear the neighbors downstairs knocking with a broomstick on our floor to make us silent. Holian calmed down and I went to the bathroom to refresh myself. When I came back, Holian was wide awake, sitting at the edge of the bed mumbling to himself. I could barely make out half of what he said. Which... I transcribe here, too. Oh, God. That's the reason this rite was prohibited. It shouldn't be mixed with this date and this hour, nor be used the bone peyote. That's the reason why the spirits dragged Melkor away in this sandstorm. We are not meant to pierce such realms, or they will see us and try to devour us away. I'm such an idiot. Man is not meant to know these things or else we would find that we are nothing but meager entities compared to the creature of bones. That's the reason why the natives never dig mines, for fear of awakening the creature of bones that lies deep beneath the land. The ancient gods created a creature of bones to try to keep the dead sealed, but instead it wants to possess the places of the living. They were trapped after witnessing their follies and hubris. The Mclan is not only a realm, it is a being that yearns to exist in our world. That's what happened to those soldiers in the mine. That's the reason why there are mummies there. They are not dead but damned to have their souls drained from their remains for centuries. They are trapped in their decadent bodies, their faces screaming after being trapped in the other world. The urban legends of the place are true. The Spaniards dig too deep, and the mines collapsed, thanks to a miracle. That is what our ancestors saw in that cave, and those fools are going to awake it again, and now it will be too strong to stop it. It knows my scent. It is salivating at the prospect of me being its first meal after a long slumber. I have to stop it. <laughs> Holian then passed into a restless sleep around 2 a.m. I could swear we were there for hours, that it was dawn by now, but the whole experience just took a couple of hours. Julian awoke from his sleep around 3 a.m. on the 2nd of November, All Saints Day, the most important of the holiday. He jumped from his bed and gathering his sigils, he broke them and created a new one which he claimed would protect him in his battle against the creature of bones. I tried to stop him, to force him to rest. A fever was taking hold of his body and his visage was becoming very pale, but his feverish body showed extraordinary strength and easily pushed me away. Keep my diary and the sigils at hand as you could need it if I fail but I won't or we will be its slaves forever dancing in its belly he mumbled more incoherent things that only now make sense before leaving his own flat I waited for him to come back until the dawn illuminated the now trashed room but it was to no avail I placed a call to his cell phone but the call failed tired I left his flat closing with his spare keys, the front door, and avoiding the furious looks of his neighbors that were kept awake thanks to his screams and diatribes. I went on to have breakfast in one of those chain restaurants that were open early while I tried to locate him through common friends. Then I compared his diary with the emails he sent me and I printed and the notes I took the last night and the book of Other Realities and Dreams and a sense of dread started to fill me. I went back to the Sonora Market in search of the vendor that had sold my friend his ritual apparel, but he was nowhere to be seen. His colleagues mentioned to me how he suddenly fell ill the previous afternoon. I tried to come back to Julian's flat, but for some reason I got lost on several occasions, usually ending in the same lonely street, where a beautiful girl with a wide smile waved at me. And when I tried to take the subway, a sense of primal fear stopped me. I was in no mood nor shape to enter the underbelly of the city, which, under the light of Julian's visions, just gave me a bad feeling. Instead, I took the slower option of buses until I came back to my hotel, picked up my belongings, and checked out. I took a cab to the bus station, and I booked a trip to my hometown. As I was leaving Mexico City behind, I felt as if a great weight was lifted from my shoulders. However, concern for the well-being of Julian stopped me from enjoying some rest. Once home, I tried to keep my mind busy until the end of the Day of the Dead, the lesser dead, as I was sure that everything would be fine afterwards. And time eased my soul, and I forgot the events of that night. I went out with some other friends, checking my cell phone for news now and then. It wasn't until a few days later that I realized the true scope of the situation, while reading the newspaper as there was an article in the cultural section which caught my attention. During the digging for the new international airport, whose design required very deep foundations, there was an accident that claimed the lives of three construction workers and the leg of a fourth. After the rescue services finished clearing the place, they found the weirdest of things. A mummy, centuries old, not dissimilar to those exhibited in the museum at Guanajuato, holding tightly in its left hand an unknown sigil made of wood and in his right hand a cane handle made of silver. His face showed a rictus of pain and fear, the mouth wide open. At first, the experts believed that it might have been the remains of someone buried during the colonial period, or even pre-Columbian times, that suffered from a process similar to that in Guanajuato. But later, they discarded it as a hoax and burned it, when they found that the rags worn by the mummy were made of synthetic fibers. It didn't make sense, despite the fact that the mummy itself was proven to be centuries old at first I didn't care much for that piece of news until a second look at that sigil filled me with dread and certainty of the fate that fell upon Julian explaining why he hadn't contacted me by now the creature of bones was finally here and the veil that kept it sealed away was now closed with it on our side The sigil and the silver cane were the clue. Julian was the mummy, and they burned him, his mind and soul trapped in there, helpless. I don't know how long I have left. Maybe a few days, maybe a year, until the next first of November, when the sounds of drums and the illusion of dancing skeletons will trap me this document shall serve as a record of what happened to Julian in case it happens to me too no I'm certain it will happen to me no matter how far I move from here even to another continent after all the call from home is too alluring and my mind too open to its call damn you Julian damn you and your mentor it knows of me it is out there, biding its time, walking the city, hidden as a beautiful girl with a wide smile. And I know someday, during the Day of the Dead, I will answer its alluring call, walking in the middle of the night, mindlessly into the labyrinthine streets, until I become lost and sucked out of existence, and into the Mictlan, where I will be dancing forever in the belly of the creature of bones that is now one with the city, The city beckons me. The city is now alive and waiting. An eldritch abomination of steel and concrete, glass and asphalt. Breathing. Waiting. Draining. And we are its food. even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Root void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So today my guest is Ricardo Victoria, and we just listened to your story, Bone Peyote. And uh, I think it was a great story. One of the things that drew me to the story, one of the reasons why I selected it to be read, not only because we've never had um a story outside of the european and and american we have a lot of stories from you know europe a lot of stories from the united states canada but we haven't had a story on the show before from south of the border in mexico and i thought you know you have such a rich culture and so many traditions there's this this amalgam of um you know the spanish traditions mixed with the native Mexican traditions, you know, the Aztec and the Inca, and it's all kind of blends together into this strange amalgam. And one of the things that I thought was really cool about the story was not only does it focus on that rich heritage and the rich culture, um, you know, from, you know, Mexico, but you're also borrowing and talking about Egyptian culture and Celtic culture and, and kind of tying it all together together and saying, you know, this is all one big mosaic and these are just all little pieces that tie together. So I thought that was really interesting how you managed to bring so much of that together.
1: Oh, uh, thanks for the comment. Uh, First of all, thanks to you for having me here and to all the audience for listening to my story. Uh, Yeah, I have to say uh, writing Bon Peyote was kind of a challenge. Because I have never written a horror story before. I mean, I am a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft, of Edgar Allan Poe, that kind of uh, cosmic horror stories. Mm-hmm. So when I saw a, a, an advertisement for a call for submissions for a, a, a Lovecraft I seen, I said, "Well, let's let's try to do the story, write the story." And I did it like in two days. Mm-hmm submitted and got rejected and it was like, oh, what the hell, I'm going to self-publish it. <laughs> yeah, well, rejection is the mother of innovation, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, when I was writing this story, I was thinking, well, I can go and write the classic ghost story, yada, 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 or I can try to draw from what is basically my favorite uh, celebration of mm-hmm. the year, it's uh, the uh, Day of the Dead here in Mexico. And since I'm a big fan also of Celtic uh, mythology, talk, well, let's try to create a context about that with the style that, sound, that is uh, reminiscent of uh, the Tulu Lumitos. So it was a fun experiment. It was tough because also I, thought, uh, uh, I don't like to write in first person. Mm-hmm. so it's, but the style has to uh, I think a good horror story has to be in first person. So, yeah, I'm glad you like it. Uh, the, the thing is, my personal belief is that Mexico has to be one of the most haunted countries in the whole planet.
0: I wouldn't doubt it.
1: Because, for, in, as you said, you have in one hand all the uh, pre-Columbian traditions of... Uh, the Aztec, the Mayan, the predecessors, the Toltecs, the Olmecs, and so on, so on, so on. And then you have all the uh, Catholic traditions brought by the Spaniards, plus all the Santeria and certain elements of uh, African cultures, because most people don't know, but there were also African slaves in Mexico, mm-hmm. in the colony. So that, well, later got freed, but it all created a, a syncretic a tradition that mixes elements from every, uh, for several places, and that adds the, uh, add to that the hundreds of uh, haciendas that are now empty. We, uh, Mexico City, that is a massive city with a lot of places that are uh, in uh, uh, that don't have habitants because. You know, uh, they live wielding uh, the premises, so, and now the uh, conflicts we had in the in the country during our story. So yeah, it's the perfect mix for ghost stories, for horror stories.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's funny you mentioned Lovecraft because I definitely picked up on, you know, that ancient god thing where you had all these ancient gods together that were trying to hold back, you know, for the benefit of mankind this uh, this dark entity and you know because we are curious creatures we want to dig into what is the mystery and you know there's this one of the elements that i think is is really important in in horror and it has its tradition going back to folk and fairy tale is you know the the cautionary tale just like there is a mystery here but if you dig too deep you're not going to find what you want to find
1: well the thing is for starters, here in Mexico, we have a very peculiar relationship with the concept of death. Uh huh. I mean, yeah, we have funerals like everybody. It's very uh, western. But when it comes to the uh, to the time of the uh, of November, uh, October November, the day of the death, it's a celebration. We, I, I could say we are very cynic, or very uh, uh, we take everything as a joke because it's a way to deal with reality. Right. we how we present reality. So, uh, uh, you are going to see that, uh, I mean, that is not exactly a common topic to make fun of that. But here in Mexico, it's anthropomorphized in this figure, the, the Katrina. think mm-hmm. the Grim Reaper, but dressed as a, uh, a, a very rich lady mm-hmm. from the 1920s. And we make uh, fun of it and we uh, make uh, poems about uh, uh, people mocking politicians, mocking uh, TV stars about when they die, they are going to die this way, and those poems are written as a joke. So it becomes a party more than something somber. So it it makes me curious why we are that, when that is a somber uh, topic. And if you add to the fact that the most common thing that people know about Aztec and Mayan traditions is the blood sacrifices. Mm-hmm. You make, you start wondering why they did uh, those sacrifices. And The thing is, well, in Aztec uh, tradition and Mayan tradition, they uh, they have this belief that uh, sacrifices helped the gods to keep the universe going around.
0: Right.
1: The Aztec. Uh, Took the hearts of people to offer to the sun god because that replenished its energies. So they were trying to stave an apocalypse. So it kind of makes sense that okay, you have these gods that record uh, sacrifices to keep something even worse from coming through our reality, and from there the story just keep uh, coming along. Yeah,
0: now it's definitely a very interesting way of of spinning the tale and. Uh, digging into that, and, and you're right. There's a modern Western view of death as this thing that we want to keep at arm's length, and you know. But if you go back to even just not very far back, late Victorian or early Edwardian era, the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, people had their funerals in the home, and you know, there was uh, they used to have Victorian death photos where they would take pictures of you know loved ones that had passed away, and we now have this very modern fear and arm's length push of death away. and I think that that's maybe something that you know the Mexican culture has retained is this old tradition that death is is inevitable and it's a part of life. And by inviting it into life and, and me, making a little bit of fun of it that you know it's something that you can you can get through and move through and not have this huge fear of.
1: Well, actually, when uh, in those days, by the way, I find the uh, Victorian tradition of having the mask and the pictures of the dead people very creepy.
0: Oh, yeah, very, very much so. <laughs> not and saying it's very, not creepy.
1: <laughs> but that, what we do here in Mexico during those days is that we put uh, an offering in the house, sometimes in the graveyards, hmm. depending the region of the country, uh, and in those uh, offerings. You set a table with, uh, you put the pictures of your uh-huh. deceased loved ones, family, friends, even pets, uh-huh. and you put uh, liquor, uh, food, uh, candies, everything they liked in, when they were alive. Because we have the belief that, uh, that in the 1st and 2nd of November, is what something I mentioned in the story Mm -hmm. Uh, the veil that separates living from the dead becomes weaker they come uh, back uh, as spirits and they suck the essence of the food Mm -hmm. and they enjoy it and then they leave the objects there so in theory I have never experienced it myself but in theory the next day food doesn't taste the same because the spirits already took the flavor.
0: No, I think that's, I think that's a really cool way to, to, uh, remember and keep those, those that we've lost as part of our lives. So,
1: yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the celebration is separated by in the, um, with the major saints, which is usually adults and the minor saints is usually dedicated to kids. The main, main event is, uh, is the 2nd of November, mm-hmm. so it's a celebration that starts uh, early in no, uh, uh, half of October. It starts building up to conclude in those days. Okay. And... Well, nowadays it's, got, it's getting mixed with Halloween, which is inevitable because, well, we are neighbors. Right. And it's basically uh, no a celebration of four days.
0: Well, that's good, though. I mean, at least there's still the, the retention of the original holiday, because I think that that's something that is, is always sad whenever, you know, the, the old traditions are lost in favor of, of the new traditions. But, um, you know, the fact that you, you're you holding on to both is is something that's interesting and I think, you know, makes it more fun for everybody that you can appreciate both parts of that.
1: I think there is a space in this world for every kind of celebration. So why, why close the door to one in favor of another one? Let's celebrate everything. Life is too short. <laughs> I To, <agree>. to <laughs> I mean, okay, no pun intended. But life is too short to close the door to other new experiences. I think yeah. there is a, a space and time to to do both of the celebrations, and there they should be a conflict of that. Right.
0: No, I agree. So, tell me what was what was your biggest challenge with writing this story? Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, I know that you're fluent in both languages, but uh, I'm sure that that you know, not being a native English speaker to begin with, that's probably one of the challenges. But other than that, well, uh, back then, that
1: was probably the thirties. 30th... sorry I so I didn't have this in my process it's as Polish as I have
0: it now. Yeah. You're, you're, I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit on me my there.
1: Was a Panther.
0: I just, I'm getting about half of, uh, half, I, I'm I, get, getting about half of what you're saying there. So we may want to re-answer that question. I can go back and, and edit and fix that. Uh, okay.
1: So back then, when I did it, I didn't have a, a, a process of writing. I mm-hmm. didn't when I came to my writing.
0: Hello? Hello there? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, there you are. Okay. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. We Sorry. were we it was um, I don't know. The, the internet's always fun, you know. So it's it's always uh, a crapshoot whenever things might drop out on these calls. Most of the most of the time yeah. things work well, but there are those days.
1: Internet is not a reliable thing. Oh, yeah. no, no, well, not internet. The connections. Yeah. Are not a reliable thing. Yeah. We are not there yet. <laughs> um, so yeah, you were.
0: So, you, uh, so so yeah, I basically I was asking like what your your biggest challenges were with the story, and you had started to say, you know, that back then you didn't have a process for writing. I think that's about all that I heard. So if you just want to answer the question from the start again, I'll edit it together so that it's seamless.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh Okay. Uh, Bon Peugeot was my third story I ever wrote. So back then I didn't have a writing process established. I just write everything that came to my brain. I have a brief outline and then I pantsed everything. I just went along with it which for a short story is fine, for yeah. a lar- uh, larger project is just getting uh, is problematic. So getting uh, the story together, because I have another problem, I get distracted too, easy, too easily, uh, my, my mind is bouncing from ideas all the time. So what I had to do is write, uh, split the story in the scenes and write them and just uh, put it together and try and hope for the
0: best yeah so how many drafts did this particular story take you how many how, how long did it take you to polish up once you got your initial ideas down
1: uh i uh, like by the third draft i i had it da, uh, down luckily i have a couple of friends that are native speakers okay uh, so they kindly took it to read it. They're writers too. So they say, okay, let's review your story. Let's make some corrections. They make notations. So they helped me to start getting this process and do it uh, and get the story more polished yeah. to the point where when the audience is hearing it now.
0: Right, exactly. And, you know, it's nice because they did a really great job helping you out with that because it does preserve that... I mean, you can you can tell that it's not 100 percent written by someone who has spoken English in a native manner, but it still has a very clear English flow. I mean, the grammar is correct. The story is correct. People will know that from listening. But it does retain that flavor that I think is important for it being a first person narrative story that you want the author to kind of have. A certain way of speaking that's not necessarily something that you'd hear from someone from, you know, England or Illinois or, you know, wherever. Uh, But I know that you're also someone who has traveled and you've been overseas, and um, it does have that feel and it fits well with the character to have that feel of it's someone who has picked up certain phrases from their travels and that sort of thing. So I think it worked really well.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, the thing is, to write out the story, uh, the main character, the narrator, it's obviously based uh, in my experience when I was living o- overseas. I was doing a PhD in England. So when they came back uh, for holidays with friends, I had pretty, it's not scary, but I had pretty similar uh, talks with a friend that is very into the occult and everything. And it, uh, it helped me to to form the story, because I was drawing from that personal experience. I came with this friend that was telling me, oh, dude, I read this book about this, this and this, uh, uh, guy that was exploring such and such uh, myths, and such and such uh, rides in the deserts of Mexico, and uh, I want to experiment something like that, so I hope this friend doesn't hear that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, because the characteristic was that instead, but it, it cannot of really, draws from that experience. And then having these other friends that are writers that can help me to to keep my original voice but also polish it to, into a, a finished product for the English-speaking audience, which, let's be honest, is the largest audience for anything that is fantasy, science fiction, or horror. Yeah, absolutely. The world. Because sadly, in Spanish... In Latin American uh, countries, there is not uh, such a market for that kind of stories. Most of the stories are uh, uh, non-fiction stories, Mm -hmm. and most you get uh, magical realists like uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So, yeah, having the support of these friends, that are probably going to hear uh, the the podcast the moment you you post it online. (laughs) So, thanks to Brent and Stephen, thank you for your help. Uh, yeah, it's helping me to improve uh, my writing because every time they make corrections for me, I learn more from the process. So, from I think from the point when I wrote Bon Pegotti to where I'm writing all my stories, I think they suffer less editing it. <laughs> they, they yeah. do rec- I'm able to do it myself.
0: No, it's it's a great it's a great way of of exploring that, and you know it's it's something that's fresh i mean like you said there is a the largest audience is the english speaking audience but there's so many of the same tropes that we we see appear over and over again so i'm always looking out for something fresh i'm always looking out for something different and when I took over the Wicked Library, one of the things that I wanted to do was to explore lots of different genres because there's so many subgenres within horror, um, and just kind of introduce people to new stories that maybe they haven't heard before. And that's one of the really cool things about working with so many independent authors and self-published authors and small press authors is these are voices that aren't mainstream that don't necessarily get heard all the time so you're not necessarily going to see you know a movie that has that particular type of voice and i think it's a it's a really fun way of introducing people to new authors and exposing them to different subgenres within horror that they may go well, you know what i really like this i'm going to look for more like this or i'm going to look for more by this author because this is an interesting new voice in fiction
1: Oh, thanks for the comment i mean uh, i have to say that, uh, the book book market in mexico is, is reduced as i said before it was it's more focused uh, non-fiction uh, journalistic books so getting out there is really hard for us that are interested in science fiction and fantasy and horror and all the mixes of those three genres because i mean you can have conan is fantasy and at the same time has a couple of horror stories and getting the forum the, the space the places to present our work before it was hard Now with the internet with the work that you do with the white library with the, with twitter with, in, you know with the internet speak uh, we are uh, taking advantage of that to get the work uh, outside mm-hmm. um, i mean there is a Search of new writers and not some new writers, but more expensive writers that are from Mexico, that are latins, that are trying to get their stories out. Top uh, of my head comes uh, Silvia Moreno Garcia. She has a. She's from Mexico, lives in Canada, and she has a book, a uh, certain dark uh, dark things, that is a story about vampires in Mexico City. And when you see that, you see that you are not alone, and this and you are not uh, the only one trying to push this and it encourages you to work harder and get your stories out and that process is what makes everything worthwhile
0: yeah and and i hope that hearing your story will inspire more authors to submit their stories if they're writing in the same genres and, you know, um, authors from international authors aside from what we normally hear from. not, Not to take anything away from the authors we normally hear from, but I mean, I'd love to hear and get stories from, more stories from Mexico or from Japan or, you know, there's so many rich cultures out there that have these traditions that fit well into a horror story um, that I think people would really enjoy hearing.
1: Yeah, I mean luckily, I don't know, I will say that luckily for us uh, a lot of Mexican culture is becoming more mainstream. You have this upcoming movie by Pixar, Coco, Uh which is about the dead I sincerely hope it's it's good and it it, uh, respects the uh, traditional elements of the celebration of the holiday mm-hmm. but come on it's a Pixar movie about the Day of the Dead <laughs> in Mexico yeah, that uh, that helps you to get out uh, we have a few years ago another movie about the same topic which was a production between uh, Guillermo del Toro and I think it was DreamWorks I'm not sure about okay. also Day of the Dead and uh, it's funny to uh, you grow with that, these things, with these traditions. With uh, you go to school and you read about this uh, Aztec mythology, Mayan mythology, and you never saw that that kind of stuff in TV. You saw uh, Halloween, you saw uh, Nightmare on on St- Street, uh, Friday Thirteen, that kind of horror movies. And now you can go and, and now you can uh, go out to the cinema and watch a. Pub and see oh i grew up with these things and this is a celebration i grew up with and okay didn't get this or they get this right and for me it's it's something i can feel proud of because mm-hmm. i'm proud of my my culture obviously you have uh, something uh, my wife was making me to know that james bond took this uh, uh, the day of the dead. yeah yeah absolutely the version of by the way that's not how we celebrate it
0: no till <laughs> last year <day.
1: laughs> so yeah no no, we are taking the idea from the movie and say, oh well let's make it this way too let's add this part uh, in Mexico we have also this uh, um, I will say oh certain uh certain ability to take things from other places and add it to our culture mm-hmm. and enriches the more it uh, makes it uh more um uh, uh, brings elements that ca- that complement what we already have so yeah we're basically stealing the idea from jeans <laughs> well
0: you know that's just, i think that's the interesting way that these things work especially now with the advent of the internet and you know so many new voices out there is it, it's a conversation storytelling is is not a fixed thing it, it's always a conversation you know one story makes you want to contribute your part of the story to it and you know uh, cultures have always done that where they take and borrow a little bit of this and add it in and interpret it in their own way and you know to me that's that's cool i, I know people that are purists and they're like oh you can't mess with that that's you don't want to mess." But I think that that's how we work as people, and that's the fun thing about stories and storytelling: is we enrich each other. You know, we we find the commonalities, and and through story, we are brought together.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it is kind of a Mexican tradition to bring this kind together. As I said before, we we have here the mix of pre-Columbian cultures with Spanish. Uh, the Spaniard culture mm-hmm. with African culture so for the past uh, 200 years it has been uh, brewing to what we have now yeah, yeah we are losing some elements to uh, due the globalization I couldn't say there is that the the, uh, the con of it, but the pro is that we are also uh, getting uh, to others to know what we have yeah and then you can say that For example, uh, there is a city here in Mexico, it's Guanajuato. Mm -hmm. It's probably the most haunted city in the whole country because you have mines, you have a a, a part of our independence war was fought there. So there is a lot of dead people, Uh, the graveyard, and you go there and you find books really thick books about all the legends and myths of that particular city. And that's not the biggest city in the country. You, then you, for that, you have Mexico City. And then you go to the south of the uh, country, to Yucatan, which is more than just Cancun and or, or the beaches, but you have all the Mayan ruins. And they have also their uh, a particular version of the myths. And you have, it's, it's like a buffet. You have plenty of things to pick up, to write a, a narrative. can be truly scary and uh and modern at the same time and also the fun thing or the i I find it funny considering you know the controversies around hp lovecraft and the uh nastiest aspects of his personal life yeah but it makes he has a big following
0: yeah you know it's 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 funny because if you it's one of the things i mean we talked about we're talking about aztec culture and you know at the beginning You can't judge a past person or a past culture based upon modern times. I mean, yeah, you can look at H.P. Lovecraft and you can say, well, you know, that's really not the way you should conduct yourself. But you also have to look back and go, well, you know, he's a product of his time. He only knew and he could only be who he was in his time. And it's the same thing with, you know, human sacrifice. You look back at that. Sure, it's abhorrent. But at that time, that's you can't judge that culture based upon modern sensibilities. You can't condemn them for the way that they were, the way that they were back then. Um, But you can learn from it. I mean, that's the way the history is supposed to work. You learn from that and you say, well, let's never do that again, but you can still appreciate, you know, some of the things about the culture that are not quite as dark. And I think it's the same thing with authors like H.P. Lovecraft. And I could give you a list of them, you know, where if you worried about, the way that they conducted themselves in their time, you'd probably never read anybody.
1: Exactly. We need to learn to contextualize things. I mean, I'm not defending uh, those nasty aspects. Right. Absolutely not. We need to understand. But we need to understand that, well, in their time, that that was, the uh, sadly, that was the uh, common uh, train of thought. Right. Okay. uh, That's a uh, period of time that, things were uh, not as n- uh, nice as we want to, and we need to understand why they were there so we can learn from there and never commit that- some mistakes. And the thing is, as I said, uh, H.P. Lovecraft, which is, has become a controversial author due to his racism. Mm-hmm. There's, there is no around that. Right. It's funny because it's very popular here in Mexico because uh, maybe it's because the way the books are translated, his stories are translated, we never registered that part. We have yeah. registered the, the thing about cosmic horror. And if you read about Aztec mythology, the uh, uh, pantheon of gods of the Aztec, mm-hmm. they're basic, basically, they're creatures of cosmic horror. Exactly. I mean, a goddess that is mutilated and we have plastered in a, in a national monument the Coatlique to the uh, Mongoles, Goddess. We have uh, gods that it hurts, uh, that it kills. Uh, I mean, that's the gods are uh, cosmic horror entities. It kind of fits together. And also here in Mexico, there is a long tradition of horror uh, stories. We have this uh, director, I really recommend it to the audience, to you if you can track their movies, uh, Mario Tabuada. He had uh, several of the classic horror movies. Think of the Hammer uh, Hammer movie horror movies for the English audience. But here in Mexico, we have Mario Tabada. And he created stories like the Stone Book, uh, which is uh, uh, kind of similar in flavor to uh, this movie about the Annabelle. You remember the movie about the bottle? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have a, story, a movie, a similar movie about that, but made in the 70s. We, uh, the, the Mario Tabada created also uh, "Darker Than Night," uh, La Dame, uh, "The Lady in Black." You know that Victorian uh, horror story has been in theaters here in Mexico for the past four years. 40, I mean, my uh, my dad was a kid when that that uh, played started in theaters so there were a tv shows about horror stories we have a radio shows about horror stories in mexico there are festivals about horror stories and about H.P. lovecraft in in mexico city so it's kind of funny for us horror stories are kind of like uh, like and something you read to pass the time is not some Something uh, so niche, so uh, generated. which is kind of funny because I know there is uh, not a big market for authors, and yet there is a lot of fans for that kind of stories. So the problem is getting the stories to them.
0: Right, absolutely. And that's, you know, it's funny, I was listening to um, one of the things that we do for the Wicked Library now for our, our Patreon supporters is we put up... Uh, access to our archive and about once a month I'll pull out one of the old stories that hasn't been published to the website and it's not part of the the feed and no one's probably heard it for quite a while and I picked up today and put out uh, the season today as we record this um, the season two finale and that's one of the things that Nelson had talked about kind of in he's the one who created the show and his wrap-up was the goal of of the wiki the wicked library was to create a way for authors to find new audience because whenever you're independent or you're self-published it's sometimes hard to find your your audience and for readers to find you and i think that's one of the things that we try to do with this show so yeah i mean hopefully that's something that we're helping uh new audience find their authors and vice versa
1: and as an independent author, as someone that is starting in, as a writer, I thank you for uh, for the space because it's, it's not easy to find, you say, uh, where to. Uh, it's not easy to get your stories out. So the work you are doing with the Wake Wack, uh, Library, the work that Nelson did, is is really really appreciated for us as independent authors. Wow, I'm that's... pretty sure I want to participate with. You you guys again
0: well yeah we'd absolutely be happy to have you back again so what else do you have out there i mean as we as we're getting close to the end of the interview i want to make sure i give you an opportunity to talk about some of your other work and where your you know folks that have listened to the story today and want more of your work or want to interact with you where can folks find you and uh what do you have coming up that sort of thing well i'm
1: mostly interacting twitter my Twitter is basically dedicated to my sacred identity as writer okay because, uh, so uh, I, uh, and right now I'm working with a writers collective we call ourselves English English Press in honor to you know Tolkien C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. and we have created self-published several anthologies, page Jotis this. Federer in the second anthology, now in print. And we are planning to get uh, our sixth anthology. All of us are independent authors that are trying to get out their own stories. And the topic of this particular anthology, which is going to be named uh, Tales from the Underground, as the name says, is stories that uh, happen on caves, um, buried ruins of. Forgotten Cities, my story in particular, that is going to be featured in the book, is called Buried Scenes, it's a dark fantasy story, it's not much horror, it's more dark fantasy. I think that classic movie when you have this troop of characters that uh, are trying to grave grave rob uh, an ancient city, Yeah, but the story is told from the monster's perspective that is chasing them. And there is a reason why the monster is chasing them and is trying to stop them from uh from something worse so that's the, cool. that's the gist of, of the story uh it's going to be out i think it's going to be around uh, august you know editing process okay and i say that i, I have mo- most of my stories are uh science fiction or fantasy I have another uh science-fiction story that's going to be published by uh, River Press, an, an anthology about uh, new forms of uh, life, volume of life. Um, and I'm working with in my first novel. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting process. It's not, uh, I mean, I'm in the, type, in the stage of uh, editing it, and this, this is a place where uh, the barrier language becomes a problem. Right. But there is, I mean, there is a point where I I, I have to say I need help because I, I'm not noticing these uh, issues, the, this mini uh, miniature about the grammar and the syntaxes because I'm not there yet. So, yeah, uh, I have my own website, right, which I just started a few months ago, which is uh, www.ricardovictoriau you sorry um i i have to is ricardo victoria you dot okay. com which is uh you know in spanish in mexico we have two last names so for us writer i'm just using the first one gotcha um, yeah but most of the interaction can i do it in my twitter which uh, i hope i can spell it fine right, because as i said spelling is not exactly my which is uh uh, I forgot the name of the. Arroba uh, uh, W e, W a a and Wingard Leo, sorry, it's easier to say that. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and we'll put links in the show notes too to to, uh, to your website and your Twitter and all that stuff too. But you know, just in case somebody doesn't. Go to the website and look, and they're just listening on on the um, you know on their phone or wherever they're listening. It's I think it's always nice to have the links there for them as well. But yeah, if I can do anything to help you, uh, you know, promote the anthology when it comes out, if any of the other authors are interested in having work featured on the show, you know, certainly feel free to have them submit. Uh, not only are we doing our normal shows now, but we do uh, some bonus stories for our, our Patreon supporters and. Those will eventually get heard in the main feed here as well in kind of a- anthology episodes where there'll be three stories together. Uh, our first version of that uh, will actually be coming out in July, so.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, as soon as we have the links for the new anthologies, I'm going to send it you, away. I can send you the links for the previous anthologies and uh, my wife is near here. Uh, next to me and she says that she will spell my Twitter if you don't mind because she has a better enunciation than myself so (laughs) So, if you don't mind she's going to
0: well that's that's fun hi nice to meet you nice to meet you as well
1: okay I will spell it to you it's w-i-n-g e-g lower dash lower dash l-e-o
0: And yeah, and uh, that's for those who might be confused by Lower Dash, that's just the underscore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we say that uh, different, so. Yeah, Yeah. that way we cover everybody. Sorry about that, but my wife has better, uh, speaks better English than myself, so...
0: Well, that's okay. And, you know, as people will have known from listening to the story at this point, uh, the uh, fictional character that you created, uh, who was in international travel, lost most of his accent in traveling the world. Because uh, if I tried to do a, a, a Mexican accent, I would sound like, uh, I don't know, probably the guy from the Dose Keys commercials.
1: Oh, no, so hair on you. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't want
0: I don't want to make a mockery of it, so I just went with the when I when I narrated it, I narrated it in my normal narration voice, um, and I just oh, figured this guy has fine. traveled so much, he's lost his accent.
1: It's fine. I mean, when I write in English, I write uh, I don't I'm not thinking in Spanish, so right. it makes sense the character lost his accent because he's he has been living overseas. It's, it's right. perfectly fine. I mean. I have to give you an extra kudos for trying to, to pronounce some of the hardest, uh, names like Postley or other Aztec gods, because even for us, it's tricky to, to say them. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, and, and that's the funny thing because it's, it's a, um, you know, I mean, it, it's not like somebody wrote down a pronunciation key. It's like whenever we look at Latin. You know, it's how do they really pronounce it? It's a, it's not necessarily a dead language, but it's been through so many generations. How do we know that we're actually pronouncing it the way that the Aztecs would have said it, you
1: know? That's the thing. Here is not a dead language. Um, there is a good uh, percentage of the population that still speaks uh, Nahuatl, that is the, let's say, the modern version of what the Aztecs uh, speak. Spoke sorry. Right. So you can go to uh, schools and learn that language because it's, you uh, you go outside the cities, there are people that don't speak Spanish, they speak that language. So oh, wow. is not, not So we are kind of used to the sounds, but uh, to speak it fluently is another thing.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> and we still have people here, I have friends with uh, Aztec names. And it's oh, like, really? how the hell are i going to, when you're a kid, you're thinking, how the hell I'm going to pronounce that, right. then you get used to, but it's funny, so yeah, I'm sorry, if when you asked me for the the keys for, to, uh, for pronunciation, or those words, I was thinking, how the hell I'm going to do that?
0: <laughs> well, so, yeah, I wanted to try to get as close as possible. I mean, it's, um, m- most people, like, you know, most people won't pick up on the fact that that uh, my pronunciation may be off on certain things but for those people that that do and, and in um, kind of a respect for the culture I wanted to try to get as close as possible
1: and you did a great work and I have to say I'm really proud of that of how, it, how the story came out and again I thank you for the effort it is, it's amazing that you went through that uh, I won't say hell but that's, that's that hardship to get uh, as close as you can get uh, for a non-Spanish speaker yeah. to get uh, those names. So, again, thank you so much for that.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. And I, I appreciate you taking the time with me to, to sit down and interview. I, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the story and I know everybody will enjoy the interview. And, um, you know, hopefully they'll check you out and reach out and say hello. And we'll look forward to having you back on the show again in the future
1: yeah thanks um, you know I might uh, send you my this story I w- I'm going to publish the horror, uh, dark fantasy one mm-hmm. I might send it your way too so you think it's a good fit for the way library, well we can sit down and talk again uh, another time
0: absolutely absolutely now that would be a lot of fun well yeah. again thanks so much uh, and, you know we're talking on a Friday here so I don't want to keep you too long from the weekend but I, you know I hope you have a great weekend and Uh, You know, again, I thank you so much for sending the story our way and uh, I'm glad that we were able to to make it happen for you and uh, get it out there for as many ears to to listen to it as possible.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the space and the opportunity. Uh, It has been a really great experience to to sit down and talk with you. Thank you and thank you to the audience. Uh, for putting up with me and my oh. strange pronunciation <laughs> i hope you like a uh, story as much as i like writing it and as much as dan like uh to narrate it. and yeah i hope we can uh, interact more frequently so thank you again for uh, for this opportunity you're very welcome very welcome
0: thank you for listening to today's episode of the wicked library the Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. It'll make you one of the cool kids. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get Wicked Fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com. That's R-O-D-E.com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make this show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on the WickedLibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, iTunes page, and more. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on.